Ladies and gentlemen, it is time. Is it that time already? It's that time. It's about that time. For the one and only. It's time for the JoYo Podcast. Okay, I think we're rolling. All right, Netra, right. I appreciate you doing this with me, man. Great, thank you. Um, so, uh, first off, um, I already took a class with you, just so that way people have uh, kind of a background here. Uh, I took a class with you a few semesters ago. It was really uh, enlightening. I never take a class like that before. Um, but I was noticing whenever I was going through the emails, you've got a lot of, of titles. You do a lot for Arizona State University. Um, I was just wondering if uh, get people some background here. Um, what is it that you do for ASU, and uh, I guess how long have you been doing it? Um, I joined ASU in the summer of 2005 as, <clears throat> as a postdoc. So I graduated from Penn State, um, the geography program of Penn State, and then um, but I joined a postdoc uh, for an uh, NSF funded, funded project on science policy research and communication on climate change. Okay. Um, so in 2007, I became uh, a faculty, tenure track faculty, uh, since I majored in geography, so my tenure home. Um, then was geography, but since I was working as a postdoc in a think tank called Consortium for Science Policy and Outcome, which is one of the top 10 think tank in the U.S., <clears throat> so uh, I had the dual appointment between the School of Geographical Sciences and Urban Planning and the Consortium for Science Policy and Outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, so that means, you know, when you have uh, multiple hats, uh, yeah. you have multiple responsibilities. True. You know, and then some of those two is never 100%. Mm -hmm. Meaning, you know, um, you end up working almost like a full time for each of those two different units or institutions or however you want to call it. Right. Right. So that is the beginning of wearing a multiple hats. Mm -hmm. um, and then, but in 2015, um, ASU opened a new school mm -hmm. called a very transdisciplinary school called a school for the future of innovation in society. There is yeah. where you took a class on global technology and development. So as this was a new school, that also means opportunity for people like me, who have already been uh, wearing a multiple hand, doing multiple things. So it was an opportunity to start new thinking, new institutions, new centers, and so on, new program. So as a result of that, I then 
um, led a charge to develop a center that's called Center for Innovation and Development in Society, okay. which I am currently directing that center. So since, again, this was a new school, we needed to develop programs. And I also then develop a graduate certificate okay. called uh, Global Development and Innovation. Nice. The certificate, but it's focus on global development and the role of innovations in development. Okay. So we continue to wanted to develop programs uh, in the school, and we wanted to envision something differently uh, because there were already a lot of schools within the ASU. So this one had to be different. Right. Okay. Uh, so this is a different, of course, than uh, we, since we already had global technology and development and now the new certificate, global development and innovation, and we thought we will develop a PSD program so mm -hmm. that it would be a logical progression. Uh, right. And then we, uh, more than a logical progression was, so we have everything uh, to talk about development in this uh, in this new school. So right. we ended up developing uh, innovation in global development as a new PhD program, which I currently chair. Okay. Nice. Yeah. So when you lead one of the um, uh, one of the blessing I should say in academia is that when you try to lead something, you end up being in charge of that. Sure. That's why I have got so many things in my head. Right, right. But um, that is also, you know, as you then move um, up in the chain um, or up in the ladder, um, you also get other requests to do service and so on. Mm -hmm. so that's probably what you see in me being... Uh, editorial board of some of the journals called Progressing Human Geography, uh, associate editor for another journal on technology and sustainability and things like that. Uh, you know, so those are all service um, as well. They don't pay me anything, but we actually uh, offer our service uh, sure. through that approach, through that line. Okay. All right. Does that explain? Absolutely. Yeah, you've got a lot of background in development and and uh, uh, global globalization within that development. Uh, mm. So you uh, you are certainly wearing a lot of hats, sir, as you put it. That's that's Fine. a lot going on for you. Um, it is. Yeah. Yeah. So what is it? Um, let's just try and um, break this down for people listening. What as far as development and globalization and global change and things like that. Uh, what does that entail? Like w whenever you go and you worry about development in a certain area in a certain urban environment, uh, mm -hmm. what are you looking at exactly? Ah, at the, that's a, the answer to, to that question, Joshua, um, demand a lot of time. <laughs> I probably don't have even a good answer to that too, but let me okay. try. Okay. You know, um, 
for a long period of time, we thought development to be the acquisition of material wealth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So then we begin defining development based on the material possessor. If, for example, Joshua has uh, three cars of different types and a decent house uh, and everything inside the house, then Joshua is considered to be uh, rich and developed. Okay. Uh, without knowing how much Joshua is happy with all of that. Right, right. Okay. Uh, so, but gradually, let me then, before I go further, let me also say that, but we never considered uh, what does that acquisition of wealth means to, let's say, to the environment. Sure. Let's say to uh, other people around Joshua. Does everybody have the same kind of level of acquisitions? We never ask the question, who produced those things? Okay. Are yeah. those who produce those material for Joshua uh, are equally good? Mm-hmm. Are they happy? You know? mm-hmm. Who are these people? Are they children? Are women? Are people of color? We never ask that question. And then we also never ask the question of where does all the raw materials to produce all of those things comes? And what will happen to the local environment when we extract the raw materials and so on? We never ask all of those questions, you know. Um, our task um, then not so much to understand the world as to change it. Okay. Okay. So we change the world significantly with that proposal of development. That is still valid. That's how we still define. You probably got the sense in the class that you took from me. Absolutely. Yeah. But I tried to give and that is not the only way to think about development. In fact, that's not the right way to think about development. Mm -hmm. Right. So for me now, then when I go to the urban areas or rural areas or any part of the world, then I try to think development to mean or try to communicate that development to mean in terms of uh, a total happiness, of freedom. Right. You know, you may be materialistically pretty damn well, but how much freedom do you have? Mm-hmm. You know, okay. uh, freedom of expression, freedom of choice, and things like that. So okay. increasingly, um, following Amrathe Sin's articulation of freedom of development, I now start to see development to mean freedom to society, freedom to do things that you want to do, freedom to express your values, freedom to make choices that you want to choose um, and then freedom to organize freedom to 
uh, study freedom to uh, gather freedom to say things that you want to say and and whole host of things like that okay right? <clears throat> um, that is how i see development but then also i would like to add here you know you <clears throat> heard on my uh, introduction earlier that i never use the word international anywhere okay right but yeah. you i'm sure you have heard the word international a lot i have yes <clears throat> and then uh, that international development word is quite common and then for me the phrase international development has some kind of a historical meanings and that colonial mentality that brings that conjures the idea of development is somewhere out there not here i see okay you know so that's for us for me the use of the word the choice of the word global meaning we do have our share of problem here in the us even if we are materialistically rich country right we do have poor people that you know in fact uh, the covid-19 uh, pandemic has exposed our reality Okay. In a very yeah. different light. Sure. So we do have a fair share of problem. We do have a fair share of people. We do have um, people, uh, even if they are materialistically wealthy, but they probably are not mentally at calm and not mentally at peace. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I try to think about, and that's okay. I tr- try to urge. Uh, my students and my colleagues and everybody um, you know uh, think development slightly differently right right that's like this so it sounds like you're just kind of looking at development in every sense of the word and not just like why something's being made but how it's being made not like from like you were saying where we're actually getting the materials to then manufacture whatever whatever it is we're making and mm-hmm. then the impacts of that as on us i guess as a community within mm-hmm. not just the local but then the global mm-hmm. and what you were saying with uh this was this was interesting the way you put it i never thought of it like this but this whole international versus global global i guess th- that rhetoric of that word kind of encompasses us all into this home that we live exactly, on exactly. And rather than what you're saying with international i guess it that word connotates that that they, there's the sense of the other rather than mm-hmm. us yeah yeah so so we are putting ourselves apart from other and we are creating ourselves right. uh, like not like other people we are a different in fact we all uh, have the same common goal Um, yeah Yeah, i found that so very interesting whenever uh i was taking your class that this this sense of globalization and having all of these societies on the planet so connected intricately with so much nuance Mm -hmm. uh that it just it certainly i didn't think of anything quite like it um and then it certainly brings into light how to look at global change and then climate change how you were talking about um 
that I I'll always remember this the way you put it is as far as climate change is concerned. Uh, I remember you said that it's not exactly something that's easily solved and that it's very complicated, that there's not like one simple answer that will either solve this climate change or that will explain it. Mm-hmm. And I, I found that so very, I would say enlightening because it, it because it's become so politicized mm-hmm. that everybody seems to have like an answer for it. And <laughs> after listening to your lectures, I, I would look at it now and I'm saying it's not that simple. It is not that simple, Joshua. It's not that simple. It's, it's in fact, um, uh, one of the strength of human being, modern human being, I will say, and particularly the educated human being, even I will add, is there their ability to simplify things, their ability to tell the story on a, on a simple version. Right, right. And when you hear the simplification, it sounds really, really good. Absolutely. It, it sounds you got it, mm-hmm. you know? But the world is not that simple. The world True. is a complex mix of culture, background, mm-hmm. environment, you know, uh, institutions, way of doing things, mm-hmm. you know, way of understanding each other's hierarchical yeah. things, you know, mm-hmm. market, uh, technology, these are all part of a world now. Absolutely. You know, and they, they, they are linked, but we study them differently in isolation to each other. And we try to True. tell the story in isolation. We don't, mm-hmm. because we don't know how to actually um, tell the complex story without losing the interest of the other people. That's why if I am so dedicated to environment, I will just blow up that environment part, then right. we, we, uh, I don't talk about human, I don't talk about market, I don't talk about technology, mm-hmm. you know, I just focus on that environment and I become so good about talking that environment, but I won't do a justice to other things by focusing too much on that. Right, right. You know? So those are our problems, just so that's the, that's the academics problem also. Mm-hmm. We I consider we as a part of a problem rather than a social, you know, solutions to the problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It, it, I know one of the articles that we read um, talked about uh, the Amazon and how mm-hmm. I guess that was the um, the lungs of the earth was was kind of a nice analogy that I kind of got a chuckle out of. I was like, that, yeah, actually, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and it was amazing. Again, just in, in going back to what you're saying with how you look at development is you not and just what you said early, right now with environment is rather than just focusing on um, saving the Amazon and things like that. And uh, we need to stop cutting down trees because the article was going into that there had there was a lot of logging going on and that the Amazon has been 
been slowly depleted. Um, however, at the same time, it's taking a step back and looking at that and also trying to understand what's happening in that region of the world that this is happening. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like, um, and it, it, I really did. I started to kind of look at this so much differently is if, if all these trees are being cut down, then the question needs to be asked, well, where are they going to and why? Um, and I think that's kind of what you were saying is whenever we're focusing in on just this one little aspect of things, we're not understanding the bigger picture behind it that yep. this problem could actually just be um, a manifestation of a bunch of different symptoms that we're not exactly. actually looking into. Exactly. Yeah. So that was just like kind of mind blowing whenever I would uh, read something like that. And it certainly did open my eyes that uh, the, the simple solutions behind um, different messages from uh, activists or politicians uh, certainly had me then understanding that it's, it's, it's definitely not this clear cut, easy way to solve something. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like, and I don't know, I was I'll maybe just to kind of get your opinion on it, but for instance, this green new deal, mm-hmm. um, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez proposed, I think it was, God, it's been, I want to say at least a couple of years ago, I suppose now, but um, what are your thoughts whenever you see something like that and your understanding and your background and development? Um, like, do you, do you, whenever you read that, um, is that something you discuss with your other colleagues and kind of now uh, within like uh, classrooms and with your students and things like that? Cause I know when I took your class, you certainly did ask a lot of questions of us. Like, what do we think? And if we're thinking about these things, so I didn't know if this was some stuff like this is something that you would bring up in other classes. <laughs> um, well, green new deal. Um, it's a very interesting proposition. I will start from there, Joshua. Yeah. It's a really, really interesting proposition. It will certainly make, uh, ecologist, biologist, environmentalist, climate change activist, you know, mm-hmm. among others, very, very happy. Sure. Because they at least are hearing the word green. <laughs> True. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but then you really have to ask really, really deeply what is actually underneath right. of that green. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me, because always it, it's good to bring the unfolding reality, you know. Mm-hmm. We have got two trillion plus a rescue package mm-hmm. because of the pandemic, right? Right, right. And then 
the folks in the new Green Deal uh, probably are asking uh, or urging to take or ask the significant portion of that new Green Deal to be uh, invested on or directed towards uh, greed activities, however it is defined, mm-hmm. right? All that sounds good and probably it is good. Sure. If you let the market define the green, mm-hmm. you are now trying to make the profit out of the green. And right. market is not one of that institution in the world, in the modern world. That does a good job of distributing the outcomes of the market proportionately equally to society. Right. That's okay. the very nature of market. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it knows how to exploit things. True. It knows how to make a profit out of the things. So if you let them do the market, be the in charge of the green deal, it is not going to be green, Joshua. Let's put it there. Well, it may be green inside the pockets. That might, I, I guess that's the kind of what you get. So it may be, <laughs> maybe, let, let me add, now, now you prompted me to think something else. Okay. Let me add, it may be green, but then if you start to think about the color spectrum of green, Mm-hmm. You know, at the one end, there is a dark green and it starts to go down, lighter green, pale green, and the gray green. It might be a gray green, which definitely not going to be a dark green. <laughs> it's an interesting way of putting it. Okay. All right. Um, so so yeah. people like you, when I, when I talk to, you know, you probably got a sense, uh, something like that uh, in my class. Uh, which is a big class and then but I always enjoy teaching that class Uh, you know that's why young um, scholars energetic scholars uh, and who are worried about the world but feels like they are overwhelmed sure feels like they cannot do anything you know I would then say, no, you shouldn't feel that way, you know, as, as depressing as things are. But if the youth do not organize and do not unify their voices, they will be the one going to lose the most in the future too. Mm-hmm. So and people like you, uh, I think you seem to be doing already, you know, through the podcast of this kind and other platform, reach the level of awareness about, let's say, for example, in the case of New Deal, you can actually, you know, urge people to think about yeah. how does 
the policy around New Deal is going to be translated into the real world. How are those policies going to manifest in your life and my life and everybody's life? Exactly. You know, uh, are they talking about reorganizing the market and the institutions that currently run the market or they are simply putting the same institution in the market with the name green on top of it? Right. So if the latter is the case, no, you are you and me and everybody again are screwed up here. Right. Well, I think that was one of the things um, I, I know when I was hearing about it that um, and again, just kind of taking it from the lens of, of what you were saying with uh, how you look at development, uh, kind of the bigger picture of things. Um, I think there was a, a time frame of getting rid of airplanes and, and boats and things like that within the next like 10 years or some jazz. And, and it just, kind of, I, I just kind of looked at it and I said, that just doesn't seem feasible to me. You know, like what, like you were saying, what is that going to do to our, our economy? What is it going to do to our infrastructure? Uh, things like that, because we, we kind of, we kind of need planes to, mm -hmm. to reach mm -hmm. uh, all the corners of the globe. Um, I mean, we do have very, very large, uh, like oil tankers for trade that we still use. Absolutely. So it's, I, I, again, I guess this goes back to, uh, I guess what we were talking about when I brought up the, the, uh, the Amazon is, is if we focus in on just that, what someone might see as a problem. Um, if you, if you, let's say if you take that away, okay, you may have done a good, but then again, you could have hurt somebody who, mm -hmm. you know, in one of these other countries that relies on this trade through boats, through airplanes, things like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, yeah, it's, and it's, I don't envy these policymakers at all because just trying to look at it in this kind of a lens, um, it does seem overwhelming you know, like you were saying with young people, it really does because it, the world is, is very big. And here we are understanding now the uh, impact that something like you mentioned COVID-19 has now on all of us and it's reached the entire world. So it, it does, it can absolutely, it can seem very overwhelming on, I guess, how we go about trying to solve all these very many problems yeah yeah but i would say that um there was a, a another article that i remember was um uh talking about uh what was it the breadbasket of america a lot we kind of brought it in and we talked about just within america itself uh -huh. There was this. We, we talked about that uh, in the context of dead June in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. So, um, so as far as America goes, because um, I know um, you mentioned you you had somewhat of a background in in geology, geography, yeah. geography. Excuse me. Um, well, I, I did one of the things that I've I've come come to also read up on and realize was as far as just the breadbasket is concerned, 
Um, there's a lot of problems and issues that we're seeing with that, um, with as far as um, its sustainability. And that's something also that, that you mentioned. And this is, we also talked about the technology um, that's come about and what's kind of helped us um, feed all of these 7 billion plus people on the planet. Um, talk a little bit about um, that impact on the planet. And then I think we were also talking about earlier in the class was the population and mm -hmm. how it's probably going to boom up to about 10 billion. And mm -hmm. so there was a lot of discussion on a number of different articles and a number of different scientists saying that we're already overpopulated. Some other scientists saying that 10 billion is something we can actually sustain. So what are your thoughts and looking at, you know, being able to feed people that are already here and then supposedly another, I don't know, 3 billion on top of that? Well, the debate around population, environment, and ability of society to supply food to everybody is not a new debate. In fact, that began in the mid 60s and then continue to have it uh, even today. And I'm sure it's going to continue to have an even more intense form as we move forward to the 21st century. Right. You know? But in that debate is a uh, typical and a very classic polarization of the debate. Absolutely. One group thinking that Earth already reached its current capacity, so it cannot sustain any more people. In fact, we can't even feed the existing 7.3 billion people. Yeah. That's one. So it has a uh, ideological route. It also has some kind of empirical findings in it anyway. So not that I'm arguing they are wrong. Mm. They have their uh, sort of a argument. But on the other hand, uh, other side of the argument is that no, Every additional person in the earth also means additional brain, additional hand right. to work with. So it's not a liability in that regard. And it is actually an asset. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that new set of people will continue to bring a new set of technology that will help us reach out or explore some of the resources that we have not been able to explore and that will substitute some of the earth's current material with the new material so we will be fine right you know the problem that we we will encounter are uh, sort of a short-term problem but then ultimately we will fix it you know mm -hmm. and we will be better and then here we are, you know, you guys have been saying that since the 1960s, but we continue to feed 
uh, and since the 1960s, we added three plus billion people. We continue to feed them mm-hmm. because of the innovation in technology and the way we do things and the way we move things around the world and so on. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they're also right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So and that puts uh, some people like you and me in between who are listening into a little bit of a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Okay. But then, of course, uh, we need a technology and technology is uh, the next frontier in human society that will allow us to go to the next stage of our modernity, however we define that. But at the same time, if we forget to ask the question about who is championing that technology, Mm -hmm. what are the consequences of that technology? Let's say agricultural technology. Right? Yeah. Who is leading the bandwidth of developing a specific set of agricultural technologies? And once you adopt them, once you apply them, what do they do to the soil, to the environment? Even if they, they produce more food, will yep. they continue to produce more food in the future? And so on. Okay. So we never ask that question very seriously. We're all the way beginning to ask that question. So uh, you know, Joshua, we can't kill the 7.3 billion people and the many pe- billion people that are going to come to the earth because they are, they are, these are extra people. Right, right, exactly. That's, that's not what we can do. No. That's not what we want to do. Absolutely not. You know? and the, but there has to be a way to manage our need without putting our greed first. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I think I would. I would say I. I you know, you got that sense uh, in the class as well. I. I am an optimist, and I want to be an optimist moving forward. And I would urge all the young listeners and the listeners in general out there that we do have to be optimist. Yeah, absolutely. You know, otherwise, uh, we feel that the world is crumbling especially sure you know you me and everybody's are locked down locked inside and can't go outside yeah. the time of the year everywhere yeah. in the u.s the weather is getting better we all want to go out mm-hmm. the spring season the things are blooming we can't enjoy right if we just make an analysis based on the last two weeks three weeks of these conditions and not knowing how much we have to do something like that then definitely it looks like the world is just falling yeah. Looks like this is the this is it. This is yeah. the end. Of it, right? <laughs> but that does not help us mm-hmm. as a society. So but what we have to do is, you know, what set of technology that we are proposing, you know, are these technology going to serve the already served people or are they going to serve the people who are not well served? Right, exactly. Um, So what are the consequences of those new set of technologies 
in the environment, in the various social, ecological cultures that we have. Let's put it like, what would be the consequences of that technology to the native people around the world? Mm -hmm. You know, the urban folks, the rural folks, and yeah. whatnot, and women, and the men, the farmers, and the consumers, and everything, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, uh, again, I rather than taking a position, I probably urge everybody to sit down. My advisor used to suggest me, hey, Netra, sit down, put a cool, cold towel in your head and think <laughs> I was doing my, my graduate work. <laughs> you know? So I will urge the young people particularly sit down, put a cold towel in their head and think. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, uh, we, uh, we cannot be hypocrite. You know, we, we, we cannot ask somebody else to do the things that we cannot do. Absolutely. I think, um, for example, mm -hmm. you can't, continue to demand organic food you know oh yeah good food exactly by not understanding how that is coming and what is your role on that exactly you can't just demand it in your table right right you actually uh, you know understand and work around it yeah so that's 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 the point here yeah yeah i mean that that makes total sense uh it, because I was just reading something the other day on organic. Now that you bring it up, it, it, it was, um, it, it came about because everybody was worried about, uh, the other foods and, and, and animal treatment and mm -hmm. things like that, that were not organic. And it was this big, huge, um, it became corporate. Now, all these grocery stores, whenever they started to pop up, food became corporized i guess yeah. is, is one way of putting it and so organic came around and whenever these big corporations began to see this shift in what you were mentioning earlier that this the, the shift in the market that uh all of these corporations started to buy these other organic farms mm -hmm. and then suddenly the organic became corporized yep. and then it's just it, it, all it was was just a shift in where the mm -hmm. money was that's mm -hmm. basically how i was reading this no that's absolutely right absolutely right that's absolutely right and that's what the point mm -hmm. that i made earlier about question where is your organic food is coming just just yeah. not get happy that you're getting organic food and you are able to afford for it but question yeah. about where is it coming actually? I'm not far farming. Uh, you know, 88% of Americans are not going back to land. And how all these things are coming here? Yeah, exactly. You, know, you have to start asking that, that question. You know, in um, slightly um, uh, different, but in the same analogy here, for Joshua, uh, mm -hmm. you, me, and almost everybody who are in the urban areas our if we look at our monthly expenditure we probably spend uh, more money in 
technology kind of things like uh, all, all kind of gadgets and right. your phone bills and your other things and so on uh, and lace on food okay or yeah. not so much of a difference between the food but food is your sustenance whereas right. um it's looks like a life uh, in the absence of iphone might not be the life you yeah. know but then yeah. if you think of that uh, iphone came into our life not long ago but True. food was part of our life the moment we became a part of the earth right right so we have to start thinking some of these things quite seriously uh, you know and that answer your corporate perspectives on food when you corporatize um, food continue to get cheaper but you're not necessarily getting a food that is produced with justice and the food that is produced with ethics the food that has a high quality mm-hmm. and so on. you continue to get it whatever you know but that doesn't mean right. the food that you eat has all the other characteristics in it exactly and i think w- one of the things that we we covered in in the in your class was uh again going back to uh, the bread basket was the 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 impact that it was having on the mouth of the Mississippi, where the, mm-hmm. where it comes out oh, with the, yeah. the Gulf Coast uh, down in Louisiana, and mm-hmm. and this was again something that was it, I was unaware of. But we all know for growing crops and plants and whatnot, uh, we humans have been using pesticides for generations. Um, it's really nothing new. But when it came to light that when these pesticides in Kansas, Nebraska, and all those other states that would get washed away from the rain and Uh then into the Mississippi flowing down uh, south to Louisiana. Uh And I didn't even know this was possible, but the, the, what was it? The oxygen in the water Uh was being depleted Uh and that was killing the offshore fish. And then that there in turn was impacting the fishing industry mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. New Orleans, which that is, that's an infrastructure problem. That's mm-hmm. an economic problem. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a food problem. So that, that in and of itself was causing all these different problems for people who were thousands of miles away. <laughs> that, that's exactly um, when I started the conversation with you, Joshua, I said, you know, we never, think about the consequences of some of our or none of our activities. We never think about exactly. the consequences of any yeah. of our activities, right? Of course, these farmers were putting um, uh, chemical, both fertilizers and pesticides and all other kind of cleaning agents in their homes and, and whatnot. But all those agents, um, have the property of not dissipating uh, Mm -hmm. in their source and they actually are moved uh, and dislocated from uh, where they were applied to all other part of the systems and in this case uh, the the local hydrologic cycles carries them from the top all the way through the Mississippi rivers to the Gulf of Mexico Mm-hmm. You know, and these chemicals then goes into the Gulf 
uh, and then change the properties of the water uh, and then allow the algaes and so on to bloom. And those algaes then starts to take more water, oxygen from the water, and then the whole entire area is deprived of oxygen. Mm -hmm. The fish that used to sustain uh, before no longer are getting the same quality of water and then they are either dying or just done. Right. right? But the problem doesn't stop there. You know, there were a lot of probably uh, fisher folks and so on uh, having their livelihood by catching the fish in that Gulf of Mexico mm -hmm. and they're not getting that. Right? right, that local fish industry may have sustaining a whole lot of other economic activities in the deltas. They are now impacted, right? Right, and yeah. the algae probably, you know, is starting to now decompose. So the quality of the year may be foul there, you know. So you're not getting a good quality year. So as you breathe the bad quality year, and your lungs is not good, and your respiratory system is affected, now your health is poor. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you getting poor and your health is getting poor. You are not able to afford the health care. And then you are nowhere to go but die. <laughs> no, is that yeah. <laughs> that, well, I guess that's where uh, the, the eventuality would lead. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, yeah. I mean, it's just because, yeah, now these, these fishermen, um, cause I think we, there was these, um, satellite images that we were looking at mm -hmm, of, mm -hmm. it was initially, uh, what was it like back in the seventies, it yeah. was maybe like 10 miles or maybe just a couple miles offshore. And then throughout mm -hmm. the decades, it's been further and further out, in which case these fishermen have to continually go further and further and further out into the Gulf mm -hmm. to fish. And that's going to take up more fuel, more time. Um, so I think and not just, not just that uh, type of the fish that are in the, um, shores are different from the types of the fish that are inside. That's also true. Yeah. So you're not getting a same kind of a fish. You probably are getting a different kind of a fish also. Very true. The whole ecosystem changes and, you know, a whole lot of consequences of it that way. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, it's just so crazy that all of these different things that, and they're all interconnected. Everything is just so interconnected. But the, mm -hmm. the thing is, is we can't just point the finger at farmers because at the same time, these guys have to use these pesticides because yep. Yep. otherwise the bugs are just going to eat away at the crops, yep. which means we as Americans are going to have less food, which means mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. farmers in turn are going to have less profits, which means mm -hmm. so it's, it's just this big question of, all right, what do we do? Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. Um, and again, just going back to what you're saying, that, that certainly does, um, make it seem just like insurmountable, you know? And, and I, and I love that we, you can get this and you do, you present like this big picture to look at and rather than simply pointing at these groups and that group and whatnot it's it's we all have our own role to play kind of thing yeah so yeah we we, we all we all have to start sharing the responsibility instead of blaming uh, and finger pointing to each others 
at the end of the day, the destiny, common destiny is the same, which is let everybody have a good future, better future. Right. You know, not just few, let everybody have the better future. If that is our pursuit, uh, then we all have to take the responsibility to driving to that path rather than blaming to each other. And the blaming does not take us. We have to be critical of ourselves, but that doesn't mean we have to blame each other. Sure, yeah. So in in your time, though, um, that you've been studying this and um, and with all your many different hats that um, that you're currently wearing, um, these different conferences that I know, I think you mentioned that you go to a few every now and then. Um, what are some possible? I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll just call them solutions, for lack of a better word, but. Um, any different kind of solutions that might be presented in a way that makes sense as to this globally interconnected web of people that are having this impact on the planet? Well, um, the, the solutions that are collaboratives, mm-hmm. meaning the solutions that created by a group of people in collaboration to each other seems to be more and more uh, attractive and appealing Mm. because through the process of collaboration they have been able to understand each other's perspectives on the things that they value. Yeah. For example, the engineers, if you let, I, I love engineers <laughs> because they really want to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. If you let the engineer alone to solve the problem, they solve that problem, they might create a whole host of other problems too. Right, right. You know? But then if you pair that engineers with a women, a native farmer, a social scientist, mm-hmm. a priest, you know, a bunch of other people, because society is all of that. It's not just engineer, right? Right, right, right. Uh, youth and the world, if you pair that engineers with all of those people coming from different backgrounds and different disciplines and so on, you know, the product that the engineer is going to build is going to be very, very different product. True. And hopefully that product will not create another set. By solving one problem, it not, will not create another set of problems. You know, so that's yeah. what I mean by collaboration. So exactly. uh, more uh, collaborative type of work seems to be uh, on the path to do something. And then I certainly go into that kind of a meetings uh, with some interest. Sure. Absolutely. I could see that. Um, for instance, I guess just uh, an example for something locally is uh, you were mentioning Arizona state as an institution. I know uh was looking at um, 
uh, the, like the urban, urban heat island uh-huh. uh, is something else that we talked about. And the, the collaboration that you were mentioning in, well, if we're going to build new buildings for different uh, colleges and, and whatnot, how do we go about building these and what do mm-hmm. they look like? And um, we mentioned colors of buildings, um, the urban planning of planting more trees mm-hmm. like in and around the campus is, is one of those things that people look at now as kind of to help this um, impact that we're having be, I guess, subsided in a way, I guess. Uh, and so I've, I've now just driving around the Phoenix area, I look at things so much more differently is just looking at a building and then seeing where the trees are and even why they're there kind of thing. Yeah, the moment you start to think about um, uh, aesthetic or beauty from a different angle, not just from the architectural angle of the building, uh, the atmosphere that you are creating inside and the outside of the buildings and so on, uh, you are then asking uh, expertise from other areas, not just from engineers in this case, right? Yeah. So uh, that's what I mean by collaboration here. You know? Right. I also I have to now head out to another thing because <laughs> the weekend time to collect some food. It is yes. I was just about to say I've taken off about an hour of your time. I'm sure you're a very busy man, but uh, I have a lot of things to do tomorrow. You do, you do. Reading, reading. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your day and, and talking to me, Netra. I hope you uh, enjoy the rest of your Saturday, sir. I will. Thank you, Joshua. Uh, all right, good thank luck you. with everything. Thank I you. know you used to sit down in one part of the room all the time that I used to point. Uh, and so on occasionally and so i hope you got uh, something out of that class and then i hope you'll be able to use that it seems like you have been in some fashion (laughs) i certainly have sir it was it was fun i thoroughly enjoyed it and uh i have thoroughly enjoyed talking to you this uh, this morning so okay great thank you all right you take care